Welcome to Revenge of the Drive-In, the podcast where Jim and Patrick discuss a drive-in double feature randomly selected from a list of over 1,600 movies. Now, what is a drive-in film? Well, we're defining it as something that might be just below the mainstream, something from a genre that doesn't get the respect it deserves. These could be cult movies, midnight movies, giallos, slasher movies, black exploitation flicks, erotic thrillers, etc. Or these might just be movies that evoke the youthful spirit of drive-in cinema of the 1950s and 1960s. I'm your host, Patrick, and I'm joined by... Uh, Jim. In this podcast, we will be looking at two movies. In this case, we are looking at Hush from 2016, directed by Mike Flanagan. It's available on Netflix, no matter the country, because it was released through Netflix. And later on, we're going to be looking at Killer Workout, a film by somebody from 1987 that's available on Prime Video in the U.S. at least, because apparently, right, Jim, not in Canada? Yeah, I couldn't find it anywhere. We're starting with Hush. I mean, I really enjoyed this movie. I'm interested in hearing your first initial thoughts, Jim. We haven't really talked about this before. Um, yeah, I mean, I I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a new and modern twist on um, the kind of home invasion movie. There are a lot of home invasion movies out there. I think kind of when most people think of them, they think of probably The Strangers is kind of the go-to, uh, mm-hmm. which that mm-hmm. was eight years before this. So, you know... The genre was already well established. And I guess even to be honest, I mean, really, if, if you think about it, the last sort of big home invasion movie, I'm, I'm not saying that that's, this is necessarily a big movie, but the last big horror thriller with a home invasion was, um, uh, get, uh, not Get Out, who, who was the other one after that? Oh, Us, us yeah. That's it, yeah. Yeah, yeah us, us, I would agree. That's a, I don't think of that as like a home invasion movie, yeah. but yeah, it is. I mean, it's every home in... America or the world or California is being invaded, but that, sure, that's a home invasion. <laughs> Just on a grand scale, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, and you mentioned this kind of has a twist on the genre, and the twist in this case is that the lead, or not the lead actress, but the lead character, Maddie, is a deaf mute. So we kind of see how she deals with, you know, your typical home invasion stuff while being severely hindered in two ways. We are going to be going through the plot here, but before we do that, I just want to give a notice that for all of these episodes, we will be going into detail on the plot. So if these are movies you haven't seen and you're listening to us, we certainly encourage you to uh, check these movies out, You know, see them for yourself before you hear what we have to say about them. Like I said, this one's on Netflix, so it's really easy to get. I mean, if you don't have a Netflix account, it's 2020. Chances are you have access to somebody else's by now, right? And I I suppose uh, before we get too much or get at all into the plot of Hush, I do, I do want to say that this is a movie directed by Mike Flanagan, who is, I mean, he's, he's a good filmmaker, but he's as relevant now as ever because... The Haunting of Bly Manor is now on Netflix, a.k.a. the second season of The Haunting slash The Haunting of Hill House, which was season of television back in 2018, which is really good. Kate Siegel, the lead actress in this, in the lead actress in Hush, was one of the main characters in The Haunting of Hill House. I understand she's in The Haunting of Bly Manor. I've only seen one episode, so I don't... Rem- there was someone that kind of reminded me of her, but I don't know if it was her or not. Oh, wait, what was was that the uh, 
the main character of the movie the of hush the, yes the deaf she woman? the actress is not deaf mute in real yes, life okay, yeah. no yeah i figured which i mean she did an amazing job she yeah she's awesome she did I think an amazing we're job be talking a lot about her she's she's actually married to mike flanagan the director and i believe the two co-wrote this movie together oh wow so this movie starts, we see some kind of uh, glimpses of the woods, the wilderness, and so we understand right away that our main character, Maddie, lives out in the middle of nowhere, and we understand that that's how she wants it. She wants to kind of live this life of isolation because she's a writer and she's working on her second book. Her first book was titled Midnight Mass. We see kind of the little dust jacket of that and we, we get a chance to read kind of the author's bio and we learn that you know she suffered permanent speech and hearing loss in an accident when i think she was like 12 uh, 13 13 yeah. okay but before we learn any of this we kind of we start in her home as she's cooking she's preparing dinner she's cutting up all these vegetables and stuff and there's a real focus on the sound of the cooking whether it's water boiling or the vegetables being cut and obviously once we learn that she's deaf mute we understand why this is and this movie does a really good job of telling the movie from her perspective from her point of view but not you know not literally in the sense that we hear things most of the time there are a few moments where the movie goes silent so that we understand you know this is how she's experiencing things but i think regardless the movie kind of shows us what she doesn't have what she what she can't do so her neighbor comes over her neighbor's name is sarah sarah yes her neighbor sarah comes over and this is where we learn that not only is Maddie deaf mute, but she can read lips, which is helpful. Although Sarah certainly tries her best with sign language. They have a brief little exchange. She has just read Maddie's book, really enjoyed mm -hmm. it, did not see the ending coming. I, I'm pointing a lot of these details out because these are things that kind of pay off later on. I think this this is a really cleverly written story in how it does that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She is struggling with her second book. She says she has, I think, seven different endings, and she's trying to figure out how best to make it all work. But before we get into all of that, we see and hear her smoke detector go off because she's left her dinner unattended. This is while her friend is over. And the smoke detector, really loud, but also really, really bright. It's flashing lights, and that's obviously because she's deaf. So she, if something is wrong, she needs to be able to see it because she can't hear it. Again, I'm mentioning this because it comes back later. Yeah. Um, yeah. She also gets a text from somebody named Craig, who we assume is her ex- not to give anything away, this doesn't really go anywhere. It's kind of referred to in a few lines later, but it's not really all that important. You, yeah. You know what I mean? To be honest, I was, I was actually a little surprised about that, to be honest. I uh, I thought that was going to come in somehow, but... Yeah, I think I think it's it's important that she doesn't have a boyfriend because when she's threatened by the guy later on, that's the point where he knows she's alone. He knows she doesn't have anybody. But there didn't really need to be mm -hmm. an ex to kind of establish that. So anyways, we can get to this when we complain about the movie later on but i'm not going to have too many complaints just to add <laughs> up so the second novel she's working on is called sweetwater she has a bunch of different endings like i said seven she's working on it we learn most of this information we see her typing and she's clearly struggling she's clearly dealing with writer's block as maddie is cleaning up after her dinner it's at night now it's dark her friend comes banging on the window trying to get her attention, but of course she doesn't hear her. 
and she's covered in blood. She's clearly injured. She's, you know, screaming and, and for her life. And we see an arrow hit her. And the person with the crossbow comes up, moves her away from the big glass window slash door, mm-hmm. uh, big glass window pane, whatever, and notices, obviously, the person inside, but notices that in particular that she didn't notice any of this. So he's already in his mind. He's going like, OK, this person's deaf, you know, or but before we get too far, I just want to point out that that might be one of only maybe two, maybe a handful of three jump scares in the movie when the friend hits the glass lighting door, which was also really refreshing about about this movie. That was certainly a startling moment. I can't remember. I took notice of like what was a jump scare and what wasn't because I, there are a lot of people that complain about jump scares just in general. They're cheap or they're, you know, whatever. I don't mind them too much. You know, there are plenty of really, really well executed ones. There are, I always think of when I think of jump scares done well, I think of James Wan, the director, you know, who started with Saw, but he did the Conjuring movies. Those like that man knows how to construct a jump scare. As long as they're done well, really. But, but this one was done perfectly. I guess the reason people complain about them is they think it's cheap, it's loud, it's not really, it's, you know, it's just a sudden thing and then usually it's mm-hmm. kind of over, like it might startle you, but then that feeling is gone two mm-hmm. seconds later. You know, there is a way to, to do jump scares where they stick with you. Maybe that's what's going on here. Like I said, I didn't really take too much note of what was a jump scare, what wasn't. But now that you mentioned that her hitting against the window, yes, I do remember that. That kind of startles you. Yeah, well, and actually, and also, if, if I may say one more thing, it's that the scene with Sarah and uh, Maddie talking uh, had only just ended, like, maybe 10 seconds before, because then it cuts to Maddie doing the dishes, like, scraping burnt food out of a pan into the garbage, and then, bang, she hits the window, just, like, covered in blood, screaming. So the killer, and of course he is wearing a mask. It's kind of a nondescript mask. I feel like most home invasion movies have just kind of like fairly forgettable masks. And that's, you know, it's because it's kind of something we we didn't talk about at the outset of this, but at least that I've seen every, you know, home invasion horror movie is kind of, they all kind of have the same themes. It's always focusing on like random acts of violence, random unmotivated acts. And, And these movies are horrific because they could happen. Whereas, you know, obviously supernatural horror movies, all these other kinds of horror movies, there's, you know, some kind of fantastic. Yeah. or just otherworldly element to mm-hmm. it that's not the case here so we've got you know relatively bland creepy mask not 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 creepy not ineffective but it's not my favorite look anyways the killer is kind of he's out there maddie doesn't know he's there yet he's kind of watching her trying to figure yeah. out you know and you're thinking he's he's probably thinking of ways he can get in and kill her which he does get in as maddie is facetiming with her sister which is where we learn a bit more about you know she's struggling to find an ending to her new novel her sister is trying to get her to move back into the city and then we get another you know they talk about craig a bit which we still don't really know what craig is about he's just that guy now did you <laughs> I'm writing a different movie in my head, but what if the killer was Craig? That's what. So originally, that's who I thought it was. Because not to jump too far ahead in the story, I guess. Like he eventually takes off his mask, and I thought, oh my god, it's going to be this guy. But then, because you see his face earlier, <laughs> that would be so uh, bad. It's, it's that would a black be so man, dumb. Um, who is Craig? What? Craig, yeah, Craig was black. Oh, oh, right, yes, in the, in the yeah. photograph. I'm sorry, I thought you were no, talking about no, the killer. No, no, because the killer takes like, off what? his mask and he's white. Dude, exactly. is white as he's, hell. He's a little too white, you know. <laughs> that's but, right, uh, yeah. I thought okay. for sure it was going to be Craig, and then I was like, oh, wait, no, that's that's wrong. That would be so, I mean, it's, we've already complained more than we probably should about Craig. <laughs> Damn Craig. Detail. It is a bit out of place, but 
How much dumber would that have been if Craig was like the key to the entire thing? <laughs> Craig is the key. Yeah, I don't want to focus a whole lot more on Craig because I'm starting to think of like, oh, what if Craig was the one who he had been messaging her because he was worried about her and, and then he ends up coming in and saving the day. Like, that's a good way to ruin yeah, a pretty no, good I agree. <laughs> overall. All right, we don't need more Craig. We get, get a tiny Craig. bit of him. We arguably get too much. But yeah, so Craig's, you know, we don't care about Craig. We've got this little playful interaction between the sisters. One of them is Squish, the other is Squash. I can't remember which, but they've got, they seem to have a good relationship. This is where, I'm not actually sure if we quite learned this, because there's earlier when she's talking to her friend Sarah, Maddie refers to the cat as Bitch. Mm-hmm. which you think is just like, okay, well, nickname, she's using that in place of the name. It's kind of like a pronoun. Later, we learn that the cat's name is actually Bitch, mm-hmm. which I think is wonderful. <laughs> and and uh, we get kind of the, this is, I think, where it comes up the second time is in this little FaceTime conversation, which I still at this point wasn't thinking, oh, the cat's name is Bitch. I think I think later we see its collar. Or, yeah, you know, it's yeah, little, yeah. The, yeah. The killer looks at its collar. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But anyways, I just wanted to point that out. This is probably the only film out there with a cat named Bitch, and I think that's worth celebrating. (laughs) So anyways, while we have this little FaceTime scene, Max, the sister, sees the killer inside, you know, moving. The killer actually takes Maddie's phone. And she, I mean, she doesn't know, you know, oh, I see a human being in your house. She's like, oh, I just, I thought I just saw something move. I thought you were alone. And then that's when Maddie is like, oh, it's probably just bitch. I haven't seen her in a while. But no, of course, in actuality, the killer takes her phone. And after the FaceTime conversations up, he sends her photos of her, which I'm not an iPhone user. I'm not I don't own a Mac. Can you just send like text pictures to a computer? You know, that's I, probably a thing if you're if like, I mean, I, I wasn't thinking about that at the time, because I guess in my head, I was thinking that he was taking pictures and sending them through messenger. But then if he could yeah, get I into the phone, sense. then, you know, but uh, yeah, I mean, technically, in this crazy newfangled world of technology, I guess if you have your phone and your laptop paired or something, maybe you could. But yeah, I'm, I'm not sure, sure it's possible. Yeah. I'm not I'm not. An yeah, I mean, it's Apple. got aficionado but i feel like this is something that's if, if you own like all apple products like yeah those are probably all tied together in one way or another please write us and tell us <laughs> also i would just like to point out so many horror movies you know in olden days are like oh this is this sucks this can't work with technology now this is one that at least in this case kind of uses technology to be creepy yeah, absolutely. You couldn't have this moment in an 80s movie. You would have to, you know, take a Polaroid and then, you know, slip the Polaroid under the door. It doesn't have the exactly, same Exactly, yeah. <laughs> absolutely not. So anyways, uh, so then, so Maddie starts to realize, okay, something's going on, and she eventually meets the killer outside. I mean, she's not outside, she's inside, but she sees him at the thing and he um oh this is of course the the killer cuts the line to the power mm-hmm. which which he cuts the wi-fi he slashes her car's tires and then maddie obviously finds him outside the window you know she first of all the window door they're kind of interchangeable with this house because this has just a lot of glass in it but she writes yeah. a message on lipstick on the door that says like i didn't see your face you know i don't i'm not going to tell anyone and my boyfriend is coming home later and the killer knows that's a lie because he had overheard her conversation where they discuss how she is alone 
And he probably even... Well, actually, I, I don't think he does know it's a lie because later on in the movie, he asks the boyfriend of Sarah if any if she if she is seeing anybody, if, if anybody if anybody is going to okay. come out here, maybe. And the boyfriend goes, oh, no, 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 she's, she's alone. She broke up with her boyfriend, you know, like X, X amount of months ago. Or okay, whatever. no, I know what you mean. I thought, I thought uh, that was like him being extra... I, th- I thought that was like him being extra careful, but you, you're probably right. Oh, okay. Anyways... And she, but Maddie's insistent, like, okay, I haven't seen your face. I can't turn you into the police or anything. And then he takes off his mask. And then he's like, okay, you've seen my face now. Now I have to kill you. And that's that's probably my favorite part of the movie. Mm-hmm. It's just really yeah. And creepy. I mean, it, well, yeah. And I mean, at first when I saw it, I thought, why would he do that? But then I thought, you know, that's just such like a power move to do. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, it, you know. And I thought I would. Like, I'd be shitting myself if somebody hit that, and I was like, I guess I'm done now, you know? I'll just lay down for you. Yeah, it's, I mean, this dude, obviously, he's playing his own version of a game here, right? Because he could, he could have broken in and killed her before she even knew he was there, right? We, we've established this, and that he noticed her when she was cleaning up the dishes and everything. So, obviously, he's trying to make this into some kind of game for him, and that's, that's, like, horror movies can kind of fall apart in that way because i think it's just like there's a little bit of like you know the logic part in your brain is just like you know what's he doing and it's but it's like it's just it's kind of part of the genre you kind of just have to go along with it i have my own issues with that which you know we can come to later but i i kind of felt the same way and then thinking that oh no like they might ruin the the whole story here with this i'm gonna play with you you know i'm gonna make you want to die before i come in and kill you kind of thing. yeah but i mean that's again but, uh, not only is it kind of just part of the genre something you have to sort of put up with uh, and i mean it's sometimes done really well and i don't think it's done poorly here and i think it's actually done pretty well here because that moment where we realize that everything's a game to him or that all of this is a game to him is when he takes off that mask and and like i said that's a really creepy moment he just he just looks kind of like some guy he doesn't you know we don't he's he's not yeah. like particularly like it's not like he's got like a disfigured face or something he's just some guy with like a buzz cut and he's yeah and a neck tattoo yeah that's, that's right he's got that's, tattoos he's just some random guy and he's played by the actor john gallagher jr who was in 10 Cloverfield Lane, he's the one that isn't Mary Elizabeth Winstead that's being held in John Goodman's basement. I think that's the oh. I think that's the only other thing I've seen him in. I remember oh, okay. I remember watching 10 Cloverfield Lane in the theater and, and for some reason I thought he was John Krasinski the entire movie. I'm like, like he doesn't even look like him. I don't know why I thought that was John Krasinski. But anyways, so John Krasinski's trying to kill her. <laughs> And so she's kind of, at this point, she's trying to figure out what can she do. She knows, you know, not going to be easy to get away in the car. She knows she can't really run. So she kind of looks at what she can do. And she she does realize, just she, she doesn't have a phone. And she doesn't have power or Wi-Fi. But you can still, of course, make an emergency call without a signal. 911. I've, that's yeah. still possible. I don't know how it works exactly. It kind of just makes me, it's, you know, it's kind of conspiracy theory that uh, phone networks are just unnecessary if you can still make a 911 call without them i don't know we don't need to get carried away with that chemtrails type stuff but uh at any rate she realizes that her friend sarah puts her phone in her back pocket so she's like okay if i can find her body i can get a phone and she finds the body outside the window and kind of has like a clever little way of distracting john krasinski in order to get to it is that she uses her car alarm so he goes over there obviously she's checking that out and then he she's trying to get the phone from the 
pocket, but he gets there before she can and or she is able to get back inside and she slams the window shut on his hand or his hands, probably. When she slams the window, she ends up getting the hammer claw to the dude's um, arm. Yeah. Yeah, And and this is like, I mean, that's it hurts to watch. But like, I mean, this is a moment where I was like kind of worried because it's like, Oh no, does she already have the upper hand? We kind of, we learn later on that this isn't the case because she ends up going through hell later on. But it's like, I was a little worried when I saw this and it's like, oh, this guy, this guy's easy. (laughs) You know, I kind of had that worry. It's like, this movie's going to be over soon. (laughs) I had a bit of an issue with that scene. Not a huge one, but I mean, again, I'll, I'll hold my thoughts on that till later. But I, for the most part, I enjoyed that scene and I did have the same kind of reservations that you did. At some point, she is able to get outside the house and she hides under her porch this is one of those front porches where there's a lot of room underneath and she's hiding there and i understand why she does it but this is arguably the worst thing she could have done because her killer's out either he's he's walking around the porch or he's on the porch she can't hear him so he could be 100 percent aware of what she's doing which he is ultimately at least that's what i believe when he figures out she's in there i think he kind of knew all along yeah but now i mean at the beginning of the movie she had explained to sarah that she could hear or that she could feel vibrations so Mm -hmm. you know which is why she's out there under the porch oh yeah she absolutely knows she's he's on the porch when he's on the porch above her but at the same time it's like you don't know exactly what he's doing if you can't see him yeah and you don't know how loud right yeah that's also yeah, which is terrifying. I mean, if there's like leaves under there and you're making noise, yeah, absolutely. She's under the porch and she tries to make it for the car, but he comes around the corner because he knows that she is uh-huh. under the porch. So she runs back right. inside and closes the door mm-hmm. just in time. She's fine. He's he's all right. Well, she goes she goes up to the roof at one point and she's throwing something. Uh, she has like some kind of I don't know. It's not a flare, but it's like some kind of distress signal, like an emergency light. She throws it yeah, out into it, the yeah, woods. It, it was almost like a flashlight with a with a. Uh, yeah, it reminded me of her like smoke detector because her smoke detector had that kind exactly, of yeah. flashing light look. So she throws that out, which yeah. I think she throws that you know with intention to get help, but at the same time, it also distracts him away, and it's like okay, mm-hmm. you know, maybe she has something, a chance to do something. She doesn't, though, because he ends up shooting her in the leg with a crossbow. She has a really acrobatic move to avoid getting hit by a second one. And mm-hmm. then he's climbing up the roof to get her. And he might, at this point, think he, think she's dead. We don't really know. But at any rate, when he gets up there, she takes the crossbow from him and is able to get back inside where we see her for a very long period of time trying to figure out how to load the crossbow. I mean, at this point, she's in a lot of pain. She's, I'm sure, never used a crossbow before, but she's also weak. She's lost. She's losing blood. She's been shot in the leg, and and she pulls the bolt out. So she's having trouble with that. He notices, he sees her doing that and figures, and, you know, he doesn't say anything, obviously, but he's probably thinking, okay, yeah, she'll never be able to get that to work. She'll never be able to hit me with that. Oh, there's also something on the crossbow that, if you notice, there was, like, a few notches on it, like, there were 13 of them. There were 13 of them. Okay, so um, yeah. so that's, I guess, how many people he's killed with it before. I don't. We don't yeah. know how fresh they are. We don't know if that includes her friend yet. No, exactly. And so to maybe be honest, he's I mean, killed 14. Yeah, and I mean, 
it was kind of a neat little inclusion, mm-hmm. I guess, in the movie, but it was something that was unnecessary because it just made you think, like, oh, how many times has he done this? Is this, you know, is he responsible for other murders? But we haven't heard about any other murders. We haven't heard about any other difficulties living in the woods. You know, it seems like he just came out of nowhere, which he did. Well, here's so. here's why I like that. I like that in the presentation, and it's all about when it's introduced in the movie. If the movie ends on that note where it's like, oh, wait, he's actually done this other times. Like, then you get nothing out of it because, like, the movie's over. I, that doesn't make me scared. I like here that it's just a little detail. It's not really, I agree, it's not necessary for the story, but it's a nice little detail, I think, that's like, okay, that's kind of creepy. I like that. I agree, unnecessary, but I like it more than the Craig stuff. Yes, yeah, no, I, no, I totally agree with that. <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah, screw Craig. Yeah, Craig, we don't need Craig. <laughs> so then her friend's boyfriend or husband i'm gonna say boyfriend because wikipedia has them of having yeah, different yeah, last yeah. names he shows up and it's you know he's presumed he's already been over to his girlfriend's house and he's like okay what's going on and, and the dead body isn't there but he obviously sees someone had broken in so he's he's getting there and he's trying to figure out what's going on and then our i'll stop calling him john because he our killer who's just credited as the man shows up and starts you know improving and he's like oh i'm a off-duty cop that he's was like, called oh, in I got knocked out, and my like, gun got taken. Pretty good badge, job of it, but... you know. I just woke up here. You know, do yeah. you know what's going on? Yeah, he's doing a pretty good job of like doing his like, okay, you know, what do I do now that my plans could entirely be screwed over? But at the same time, you can kind of tell the other dude, the boyfriend, is not yeah, really yeah. buying it. Like he's and 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 he's a much bigger guy, which that's repeated a couple times in, in the movie. But like he's a big buff, like kind of scary dude, and and our killer is just kind of like a normal he's guy. Scrawny, like he's scrawny, you know, that I mean... physically intimidating. Yeah, but anyways, I this I said earlier, my favorite scene in the movie might be when he takes off his mask. This actually might be my favorite scene because I really like what's going on in kind of. Again, this is where the character's name is John Stanley. He's played by Michael Trucco, who is a small role in the awful film The Bye Bye Man. That's the only other thing I've seen him in. But he, again, he he figures out what's going on. I can't remember what exactly the the guy says that is well, ultimately tips him off, but he knows. He was this looking guy at the guy, legit. and uh, the guy kept his cell phone. The killer kept uh, kept the boyfriend's cell phone. So the boyfriend said, "Hey, can I have that back?" And That's said, right. Sure. Yeah. When he handed it to him. He realized that his uh, wrist was bleeding a lot, which is where uh, Maddie got oh, the hammer. Oh, okay, and then, sure. As he's pulling his hand back, a gold trinket kind of thing, like like a little gold something like an earring drops to the floor and oh that's right yeah, it was it was his girlfriend that's right i remember him yeah. taking that from the body yeah i remember that's right yeah there's a little necklace yeah so that's when he realizes something's, something's right. not right when boyfriend has killers back to him he actually grabs a rock from like a little pot and he's like ready to hit him because he knows something's wrong and this is when maddie interrupts and just ruins everything because she, of course, can't hear them, doesn't know the conversation happening, doesn't know that he knows what he's doing. And so she bangs on the glass, and that distracts the yeah. boyfriend, and he's immediately stabbed in the throat. Yeah, and it's brutal, oh, and he does not her. go down easily. They still has to, He still puts up a fight, still almost wins. That scene is just yeah, that's exactly, brutal. Yeah. I, I love that, that, you know, because, again, it, it shows the vulnerability of the main character that if she can't hear a conversation she doesn't even know if she's going to be saved by this guy and obviously you can't blame her she sees she sees someone she knows with the killer who's pretending not to be a killer you know she's obviously going to try and warn him but really he was 
mostly in control of the situation and it's just like it's brutal the way that ends and oh man i love that scene yeah i, I to, to be honest i felt really bad oh yeah him. i do too because i mean he's he's in, he didn't do anything wrong and he and again he was in control and it was just this other woman screwed him over oh, i know i know i got so upset at that like i was screaming at the television i was like what are you doing that for stop it yeah no <laughs> anyways this is kind of when she realizes okay i only have a few courses of action here and she She's thinking, you know, you can run, you can fight, and you can hide. And she's thinking, like, and this is, we see this actually, like, visually dealt out um, where she's, we see her, you know, trying to escape, and she's tracked down, and she's killed. And this is, this is a moment, it's just like, I understand why it's there, because she's, like, seeing this in her imagination. She's imagining this playing out, but it's like, that moment where she's just tackled and killed is just so, like, weird you, you know what i mean it's like well, it, it's it's also kind of visceral you know because there's just so much blood you yes blood it's very violent the body yeah. and you think oh my god she's dead yeah and yeah. i think but it's like the problem with i have with that scene is that like it's shocking to see that happen you know the shock is there the second the sock shock wears off it's like oh it's just her magic exactly and they show other ways in which she tries to escape or fight back and it doesn't work out and now to be fair i mentioned earlier she's got the book with the seven different endings and she can't come up with the right one that's exactly the dilemma she has here she sees all these multiple and all these different endings and she can't figure out what one's right it's very much I mean, so much of this, what happens later in the movie is set up in this, you know, first 15 minutes, 10 minutes or whatever. So I I, I like that, even though I don't mm-hmm. really like the presentation of this scene. I, I kind of like the scene itself, I guess. I don't, know, I don't know how to phrase that. But so she decides, she realizes that, okay, if I hide and wait him out, I'm going to die of blood loss. You know, if I run, I, I can barely run because she's got an injured leg, so she's going to die. So she decides she kind of has to fight back in some way, and she's able to load up the crossbow because she hits him right when he's about to kill Bitch. I think that's probably where we see mm-hmm. the collar, where we realize that the cat's name is actually Bitch. So she shoots yeah, exactly, him, yeah. and it's an accurate shot. It's not kill shot, obviously, and so he starts coming at her as she tries to reload I mean, she can't in time, so she tries to run back in, and he slams the sliding door on her arms or her wrists, and then just yeah, on her wrist smashes her hands and fingers, just steps on them over and over. This is a brutal. Scene. It was awful, you know. And at that point, at at that point, I thought, I'm so glad that this character is supposed to be deaf. Oh yeah, just the sound that was coming off of the foot crushing the hand. I was just, it almost made me sick, to be honest. She's mute too. You can see her in agony, but no real sound coming from exactly, her. Exactly. So yeah. kind of weird, and it's just it's like heartbreaking, but it's brutal. Man, but she goes into the she hides in the bathroom, which has a window in it. So the guy can sneak in. Before that, she, he runs back to the to her car. He goes into the trunk and pulls out a tire iron. That's cause right. Because uh, he says, "I'm coming for you." Can That's you right. Read my yes. lips. I'm coming for you. And then she says, "Like, bring it on," or something like that. So he runs, grabs a tire, and starts smashing this sliding yes. glass window. Which is really, you know, I don't know. That was really that. neat to see that happening, and we don't hear it. It's just kind of neat. And that's oh yeah, I, I thought. And it was that's beautiful. that's the scene also where the music is kind of overpowering. I actually, I think the track on that song uh, in that in the film score on the soundtrack is called like do it or something like that i think it's probably do it because she writes do it coward 
on the the glass. Oh, she writes right, that in her it. own yeah. blood, if I'm not mistaken, which is really badass. Yeah. <laughs> like she's not messing around. She knows at this point, like she knows, okay, I'm probably gonna die. So she gets to her computer and just writes like died fighting and, and she writes she writes also yeah. a, you know, she writes a little message to her family, but she also writes as much a description of this guy that she can. You know, which is just, you know, yeah. she probably says height, you know, short hair, brown hair, I guess, you know, neck tattoos. Looks like John Krasinski, except he really doesn't. I, I don't know why I thought he looked like John Krasinski. I think so, too. No. Anyway, so yeah, so now she's hiding in the bathroom, which has a window. It's like kind of a small window, but it's a window that he can fit in. But she's waiting by the door with a knife, kitchen knife. He comes in through the window and... This is, again, going back to, like, where it's all a game to him. This is where there's, like, somewhat of a problem with that. But I still really like the scene where, where he kind of, like, leans in and is like, wow, you really can't hear anything. And he's like, he could easily kill her in a second. Yeah. She feels the breath on the back of her neck. And so she kind of, almost like a Matrix kind of move, she flips her knife back and stabs him. Right in the knee. And it's like, yeah, so again, not a kill shot, but so she gets out of the bathroom, he continues to come at her, and she ends up, she fights him, of course, with the smoke detector. Which, I I had been waiting for that payoff the whole entire movie, and I was so glad that that's how it happened. It's glorious. I, I, I You knew it was coming back, but it's great. It's so loud. And I, I just like the kind of the look that it gives everything, because it's got that strobing kind of thing going on. Yeah. I guess I'll just let you finish the story and I'll tell you my, my favorite, well, actually, probably my favorite scene in the whole movie or my favorite shot anyways. All right, just a second. What does she actually use to kill him? Is it like a wine opener? Is it a corkscrew? Yeah, yeah a, a corkscrew. Okay, yeah. And so so they fight, you know, she's, at this point, they're kind of like, I mean, he's stronger than her, but they're both so badly injured. This is like, I mean, this is truly a fight to the death at this point. So it's like, I, you know, I can't even really say who has the upper hand, but she's able to, I mean, then he throws her to the ground he's choking her and she's like inches away from dying but she's able to grab a corkscrew gets him in mm-hmm. the neck it's pretty brutal again and then while the strobing is going on it makes it glorious though you know it's... yeah it's, it looks cool yeah and then with that kind of resolve she goes outside finds bitch and <laughs> waits as emergency vehicles approach it's actually this came out first but i've seen a few movies since this to have almost the exact same like last shot Ready or not is kind of the same thing, although no cat substituted a cigarette for the cat. Well, then not as good a movie, I guess. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, they're close. They're both good movies. But anyways, (laughs) so that's Hush. Yeah, no, it was a. It was definitely a. I don't want to call it a thrill ride because I think that kind of cheapens it. But it was definitely a great movie that I thoroughly enjoyed. I also don't think thrill ride is is inappropriate. No, exactly. I mean, this is a this movie. You're on the edge of your seat like this entire movie. Once, once you know the horror stuff kicks in, which it does kick in pretty quick. Maybe, again, it's like maybe fifteen minutes or so before we really get. Yeah, to which that. maybe not even fifteen minutes. It's 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 you would expect kind of a slower burn in this kind of movie again because I've seen The Strangers and I've seen some other movies like this. It's like those seem to take a lot longer to really get going. Yeah, and I mean, I think that was in my notes. I guess I think that was something that was both to its benefit and its detriment, really, because I I kind of wish that they had taken their time. A bit more with getting into the horror aspect you know like letting you settle in and let the characters settle in a bit more mm-hmm. but overall yeah i mean I, I thought it was a fantastic movie 
Yeah, I think it's... I, I understand what you mean. I think the... Uh, and if you're going to go slower in that in that first, again, 15 minutes or whatever, or, you know, have the first 15 minutes be more than 15 minutes, I think really, I think really the reason they didn't do that is because basically we just have one character here. Exactly, in yeah. Most of these other movies, we're dealing with... You know, the strangers is like fiancés, like lovers, you know. So we've got two characters to potentially develop in that movie, which I haven't seen that movie in a long time. I don't think they do develop them in any way. And then, like, The Purge, which the original Purge is very much a home mm-hmm. invasion movie. That, we're, we have a family of four that we need to get to know. In this movie, we really just have the one character. I mean, she has that scene with her friend, but that's really all just so we can learn more about her. Exactly, yeah. And so, and, and same with the, the little scene with her sister on, on FaceTime. I, I So I really and think... Craig. Ugh. <laughs> if Craig is our biggest complaint about this movie, because we've gone back to that several <laughs> times, if Craig is our biggest complaint about the movie, given how small and non-essential he is to this movie, I think we this movie's pretty good. My likes, or I guess my list of likes is relatively brief, but I think it really nailed all of these things. So if, if you don't mind, I'm just going to give you a okay. quick rundown of, of yeah, some things sure. I liked. So as I had mentioned at the beginning, it, it is this new twist on the home invasion story. Can I stop you there yeah, for a yeah. second? You know what other movie came out the same year as this? The same summer, I think. I don't know exactly what time of year this was released, but Don't Breathe, which is oh, really? <laughs> which is a home invasion movie with a blind yeah. guy. Yeah, well, that's funny because I was talking to uh, somebody about that, and they were like, oh, is that the movie with the blind guy? I was like, no, no. <laughs> it, the, the movies are actually very different, but they're both kind of like, I can imagine just like someone pitching this movie. It's like, it's The Strangers, but she's deaf. It's, it's The Strangers, <laughs> but he's... Blind. Both movies actually play out much differently than that, but I think it's funny that those fairly similar or very similar movies came out the same year, probably within like a month of yeah, each no, other that's great. or something. But the whole deaf aspect, I mean, because being blind, I mean, you know, that old that adds a whole new set of elements to the story and to things that make it creepy. But I mean, considering the movies are so vastly different, really, the deafness here is especially terrifying because everything is silent. So there are scenes where Maddie would be sitting down working on her book and the killer had come up behind her and he's tapping his knife against his vest and we don't hear anything Mm -hmm. but then it cuts back to what we would be able to hear and you can hear the tick 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 of the knife and think Mm -hmm. oh my god move you know get out of there but to her she's just Mm -hmm. writing you know blah 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 i you know i want to be done this book she she writes at one point like ending give me money exactly something like that that's (laughs) that's just kind of funny but uh yeah i like that this movie kind of provides through the nature of its plot and its character kind of provides justification for what we see in so many horror movies where someone is creeping behind someone and that person doesn't know they're there that's basically the first hour of halloween which is a great movie but like actually no she's kind of aware he's there but i mean this this happens in so many movies and it's like in this case well yeah she can't hear him of course she doesn't know she's there so there's there's kind of a a logic to these things that they're always creepy shots no matter what movie they're in they're creepy to look at they're a little bit creepier this time because she can't know he's there she can't uh she has no reason to turn around or anything so i like that the whole deaf aspect just made the movie so much more interesting for me personally Mm -hmm. um because i 
I don't think I've ever heard of a horror movie that had done that, especially had taken the time to kind of remind you that she's deaf, as in letting you hear what she mm-hmm. would hear, which is nothing, essentially. But yeah, and then but that also brings me to my other point. Like, the acting was amazing by, by everybody involved, but especially uh, the woman who played Maddie. Kate Siegel. Yeah. Kate, she's amazing. I, I think she's... I've seen her basically only in Mike Flanagan projects. She pops up, again, I mentioned The Haunting of Hill House. She's apparently in The Haunting of Bly Manor. I'll be seeing that at some point soon. She She's a minor role in his other stuff. Again, they are married in real life, but she is outstanding. She was probably my favorite actor in The Haunting of Hill House, and she's just incredible here. And I think this is one of those performances. We all know the Oscars love, you know, disabled people. They don't love disabled people. They love... (laughs) able people playing disabled people of course but i think this is one of those movies where it's like if this wasn't a horror movie if this wasn't like a release through netflix movie i think if this were just like a different kind of movie but she gives that performance as a deaf mute person i think there would have been oscar talk with her i really do i I think if Let's put it this way. Audrey Hepburn plays a blind woman in a home invasion movie in 1967. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure she won an Oscar for that. And it's like, okay. Well, you know, too, and you, you really have good, to but... wonder if... Kate Siegel. Kate Siegel. You really have to wonder if she had something stuffed in her ear so she couldn't hear other things in the room while she was acting. Because... Yeah, that's a good There are point. so many times where, you know, you would think that she would react to a sound or, I mean, because the way anybody reacts to a sound, but the way she just didn't react was absolutely amazing. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, there, there is like just when, if you turn your head because you hear something, I mean, I'm sure a really good actor can overcome that. But I mean, there is a certain level of just instinct. It's not, you know, an emotion. It's it's not acting to, you know, react to certain things a certain way. It's, it's so, I would probably agree. It's probably something in her ears. Or they rehearsed comprehensively so that she had mm-hmm. done this so many times that, you know, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I mean, it, it was a fantastic movie. I guess the only issues I had with it were that there's a factor that I call the why factor. Like, why are you doing this? Um, okay, yeah, and that's what what I was kind of talking about earlier, the whole it's a game for him kind of thing. Yeah, well, and it, like even that too, because I, I don't mind that there's no motivation, but my first example of the, the why factor is that it was set up within the first five or ten minutes that she can feel vibrations, which is why mm-hmm. her phone vibrates, why, you know, why her smoke alarm when it, it buzzes too and it, it sends a vibration through the walls that she can feel. So why didn't she feel her friend pounding on the glass door? when oh, she's doing dishes. I mean, this is going to sound stupid, but I don't know if you've been around a lot of sliding glass doors. I mean, they're heavy things, and if you bang on it, it certainly sends vibrations out through the floor, and you can feel it. I mean, I've, I felt it standing right next to it, and I just kind of thought, why? You know, how, how come you couldn't feel okay. that? Or, you know, that's something relatively minor, and I guess all the other things that I have to say about it are pretty minor. Why did she pull the crossbow bolt out of her leg? You know, I understand that it's something that's in you. You want to get it out. Or for, for a character, I should say, who plays things smart, she just kind of wrenched this bolt out of her leg and then she just started bleeding profusely. And when she went to the bathroom to clean it, all she did was pour rubbing alcohol over it and then put her pants back on and... I'm going to combat this one a bit just because a couple things. One is that we can look at that and say, okay, that's not the appropriate reaction to being shot with a crossbow, which, I mean, if it is, I I don't know. I don't know about that. I don't know the appropriate reaction. I've never been shot with anything. (laughs) But at any rate, she's not a survivalist. She's this writer that just happens to live in the wilderness. So maybe she doesn't know anything about that. She's doing what she thinks is right. And so a couple things, and and this (laughs) I want to point you to another movie that I'm sure at some point we'll do on here, but it, it kind of covers two of the things you're talking about. Have, have you ever seen the movie You're Next? Yes, I have, yeah. 
you have okay well that is a a movie like this except this main character ends up being a survivalist that they don't know when <laughs> that they that the other characters yeah, exactly. don't realize that yeah. about so that's kind of like a little twist on this so that character probably would not be doing what maddie does here but the, and the other thing too is like you said you liked the unmotivated nature of the the killer and it's like i i like that too to a certain extent but it bothers me that that's like what all of these movies are and i yeah. find your next so refreshing because it is motivated and it's a, it's a completely different movie because of that which you know going back to craig you know if the killer was craig you know she dumped him and they left on path <laughs> and i'd be like oh, okay yeah, look, craig. Yeah. <laughs> okay sorry sorry okay no more craig so I guess my, no last, my last thing I have to say, again, is, is kind of nitpicky. Cause, and before I say this, I do want to point out, like I think one of the prettiest shots I've seen in a movie in a long time was when the fire alarm was strobing and she was being choked on the ground by the killer. But it just cut between her face and his face and just the strobing. Like, I just thought it was a gorgeous shot. Like I just thought it was beautiful. I could have just paused the movie and just looked at the screen for a while. But I mean, I, wanted, I, I know what you're saying, but at the same time, I, I see a woman getting choked on screen. Well, yeah. I, don't, I don't want to pause that and <laughs> no, keep looking no, at okay. it. Oh, good point, good point. That's, yeah. that's me, though. I guess the last point, the, the thing that annoyed me, and I don't know if this annoyed you. I mean, it annoyed me a lot. We kind of spoke about it earlier. But when the boyfriend gets killed because Maddie bangs on the glass. Yeah. And he gets stabbed in the neck. And then this this linebacker of a man essentially tackles the killer and puts him in a chokehold on the ground. Yeah. And Maddie, instead of running out there, she's just thinking, well, oh, how can I sure. escape? How can I escape? And I'm like, why don't you just run out there? And be yeah, she would have been enough. you a out there who's dying. The two of yeah, them exactly. together probably would have been enough. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking that too. I, I Again, I'm I'm okay with that because like, there's a lot of like dumb decisions made by characters in horror movies that I'm sure we'll get to a ton of them. There's a lot of them in the next movie we're talking about. But like a lot of them are like, I hesitate to call dumb. It's like, because we can't even possibly imagine being in that situation we don't exactly like, she's exactly. terrified out of her mind so i'm okay with that so the next movie we watched is uh, killer workout from 1987 directed by david a Pryor, but it's also known as aerobicide it's i don't know how you feel movies. about that name patrick but i i mean i, I really enjoy it i like <laughs> i like them both i think they're both i think they're both excellent names they both tell you exactly what the movie is you know this is a horror movie set at a gym like that's kind of all you need to know. Aerobicide is actually probably more accurate because it deals more with aerobics than it does like weightlifting. But they're both oh, great it titles. Deals I think you can't with miss. Aerobics. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Boy, does it ever! Yeah. <laughs> little, I'm not even sure that's actual. That, you know? yeah. I don't even think that's actual aerobics. But <laughs> no, I would just call it humping the air. I don't know. I, I, the ground in one it scene. It looks like it's, it's a class on it. Well, bef- I guess. I guess. Well, before we get into it, I guess we'll just point out for anybody who doesn't know. I guess uh, aerobics. It was kind of a fad in the uh, in the mid to late eighties or even early eighties. Uh, you would go to like an aerobics gym. I feel like it's just, been kind of shoved you know, out the door stretch. and replaced by like yoga and stuff like that. That's like you know the the, the more current yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Aerobics was like aerobics was the yoga of the mid yeah, to late. The 80s. Jane Fonda um, workout place videos. where like you know we're moms would go to yeah so killer workout or aerobicide 1987 david a Pryor, who is a king of schlock if you look at some of his uh, other films his his repertoire but this you know not i don't know how schlocky it is i think it's a bad movie before we really get into it i think it's a bad movie but anybody listening will have to watch it for themselves if they haven't seen it i think yeah this movie has its moments it's got its highlights but i mean it is a bad movie i mean there's no denying that <laughs> It sucks. Yeah. <laughs> but... 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I told you uh, recently uh, off off mic that, uh, that I've seen it three times now. And I mean, I hadn't seen it at all about two days ago. So over the last two and a half days, I've watched it three times, which I think it's hilarious because it's kind of a bad movie, but I'm really enjoying it. So it opens with a woman coming home, uh, listening to her messages on the machine. You don't see her face. And on her machine, her, her answering machine, uh, there's a message saying, like, Hey, Valerie, uh, you got the modeling job in Paris for Cosmopolitan, you know? You, I thought it was Vogue. You're going to go to was Paris. You know, good job, kid. Oh, maybe it, it was. like It was I a big know, I was watching with somebody else, and they made the Cosmo joke. So she gets all excited. The, in the voicemail, the voicemail said something about, like, be sure, you know, you're looking tan for this shoot or something. But yeah, so she, you know, she goes out the house and she goes to a tanning salon and she hops in the tanning bed. She strips down, you know, we get a nice uh, gratuitous shot of boobs. Uh, yeah, so she hops in the tanning bed and it malfunctions and it just starts sparking and catching fire and she's stuck inside and she's thrashing around and as she's screaming, it cuts. <laughs> it cuts straight to about five-ish minutes of this aerobic studio of people, of 80s women with very 80s hair and 80s outfits. Um, I, can I stop you here? Doing aerobics. Yeah. Okay, there's, there's like two things I want to talk about after that opening scene and before we're hit with this onslaught of aerobics close-ups. Uh, but it's like <laughs> two big things. Or one, is the first scene, the first scene, I guess, is it's just a malfunction, right? There's no, like, it's not a killer. Yeah, no, it's just a malfunction. Yeah, it, yeah. it's kind of a weird yeah, setup I mean, for a movie that's about a killer. And then the other thing is there's no clear passage of time from this to no, exactly. where the rest of the movie takes place. We don't really know if it's a month later a day later seven years later well and it, i just think that's well, yeah, worth and, pointing and about out the first 10 minutes i'm gonna i guess jump ahead because honestly i just said five minutes of dancing and, and aerobics and that's what it is it's it's women humping the air and in, in very 80s outfits and there's you're missing something important well there's a creepy man the soundtrack oh the soundtrack okay yeah i mean it's a great it's like the it's soundtrack is great for the this movie. is the most I don't know. Well, at least one of the songs has to be because the chorus is aerobicide. So, I mean, the song, I guess, is called aerobicide. Like, that has to be, that has to have been made for the movie unless, you know, someone out there just released a song called aerobicide, just coincidentally. Maybe that's why they switched titles so they wouldn't get sued. But, I mean, this is an incredible soundtrack. It's so, like, 80s pop but like amazing enjoyable like i i legitimately liked it i wish these songs were like out there and like on spotify and youtube and i mean i found some of them but it's just like the scenes in this movie where it's playing the songs the quality is terrible but i love that i I love to to be honest it makes you want to get up and and work out this is this is you know the soundtrack's my favorite part of this movie and that may or may not be a good thing but if there has to be a favorite part then yeah i guess it's the soundtrack but yeah so while these people are working out there's this creepy guy um in a, in a black tank top, uh, who we find out his name is Jimmy. It's Jimmy. And, uh, yeah, Jimmy. Yeah, I know, I know. He hits on me. everyone. I know, exactly. He yeah. hits on everyone. He's crazy. Especially well, with what he's... we learn later on in the movie, it doesn't make sense. Well, exactly. <laughs> it yeah. doesn't. I, I know. <laughs> it the really doesn't. Movie... And, and I think that's where this movie is going to differ the most. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it already differs in ben every Hush. aspect from Hush. But, yeah, but it differs the most in that the story is so kind of fluid. You know, it doesn't really... Parts of it make sense, other parts of it don't. Things are happening all at the same time, and you're just kind of like, I don't really know what's going on exactly, but we are working towards an end. The story is as fluid as the boob sweat we get frequent close-ups of during the aerobics montages. Uh, Oh, my God. Oh. (laughs) Uh. (laughs) 
Well, yeah. Well, anyway, so so the movie sets up that there's this creepy guy who's who's ogling the girls as they work out. And uh, there's a woman leading the dance class who kind of like looks at him and she, she gives like a kind of like, huh. And she rolls her eyes like, oh, there he is. Jimmy's, you know, pervin again. Can I just say something and, about, uh, about this character? This woman who we find out her name is, yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, like you were about to say, I'm sorry, this is Rhonda. She has an incredible bitch face, resting bitch face. I think it's an actor's decision because I've actually seen her in something else and I don't remember her looking like this, but she looks constantly annoyed and pissed off and it's great. I love that. Well, she's also, I mean, you know, I don't want to get too much into my personal preference on women, but I mean, she's absolutely gorgeous. But she just gives off because even her hairstyle is this kind of—I mean, when it's down—is she has kind of like this Cleopatra vibe to her. But she's just she just looks like a raging bitch. That's <laughs> and she <laughs> just off that vibe throughout the whole. No, movie. She, like I said, you she's know? got great bitch face, and and I don't feel bad saying that because I'm pretty sure it's an actor's decision. It's a decision made for this movie. I don't think that's how she normally look because I've seen her and she's in Savage Streets. Well, I, mean, I, I don't hope think so. she looks like that in this and. You know, Savage Street's another schlock classic that we'll get to at some point, I'm sure. But Yeah, so so this creepy guy approaches Rhonda, and the gym is named, I think, Rhonda's Workout. So this creepy guy, Jimmy, approaches Rhonda, and he, he asks her out on a date, essentially, and she essentially tells him no. And then as Rhonda walks away, the camera kind of, like, tightens up a bit on Jimmy, and it's like, it's like this like this horror movie music swells. It's like, <laughs> I don't even know what it is, but it's kind of like, dun-dun-dun, and then it cuts. So you're kind of left thinking, uh, we have to watch out for this Jimmy guy. Maybe he's a crazy guy. Which, and then, because as you brought up early with this movie, there's no actual passage of time between when this woman gets stuck in this tanning bed and then the opening shot of Rhonda's workout yeah. gym. Yeah, it could be 10 years. Well, yeah, and for all we day. know, this Jimmy guy could be, you know, could be the guy that got this woman trapped in the tanning bed. Right after that scene, the camera cuts to the women's uh, change room where people are in the process of kind of going after their workout. There are people walking around with towels on and towels around their necks. And this one woman is just hopping in the shower. There's some other stuff that happens in between, but it's kind of too, too important. Well, you're missing that at some point Jamie yeah. comes into work. Oh, that's and Jamie, right. I forgot about that part. Jamie was the one that was supposed to be leading yes. the aerobics. But she shows yeah. up late, so Rhonda's exactly. very upset with her, and that's kind of all we really know. Well, about. we're also supposed to think of Jamie as a bit of a as a bit of a slut because she gets out of her car, she drops her purse, and a bunch of things come out, and like a handful of condoms come out too. Yeah. But I, I think that was another some out of touch filmmakers like, oh, how do we make her look like a slut? It's like, well, oh, let's give her know, high heels. I, I think a, I think they doubled down. On that. I have a theory on this movie that I'm gonna I'm gonna save till the end because uh, I want to see if you agree okay. with me. Because after watching this three times, I'm like, you know, I think this was actually what they were going for. Anyways, this Jamie uh, character, she came into work late. And Rhonda essentially says, you know, I've taught your class for you. Everybody's going home. So why don't you just clean up so we can lock up and go home? Mm -hmm. So she's busy cleaning things up and also quite literally sniffing around the men's locker room to look at somebody's jock strap while this woman is having a shower. Yeah. And uh, while this woman's having a shower in the women's change room, the lights go out. And this woman, you know, asks if Jamie or Rhonda's there. And then the shower door opens and <laughs> you see a black gloved hand with a comically oversized safety pin. Mm-hmm. And it just starts raining blows <laughs> on this poor helpless woman in the shower. And eventually she, it kills her. I want to I say classic giallo setup, you know, with the Italian yeah, yeah. horror movies. 
black glove and you just see like a close-up of the gloved hand with it's usually like a razor or yeah, something which i don't know safety pin <laughs> no, no. this time and it's not really important why it's a safety pin it's just kind well, of it's, it's kind of a shame pin. though that it is that it is a safety pin because because it just looks so silly i guess i think sometimes you just want something different than a knife just to be a little bit different but i agree knife would have been nice. Yeah, exactly. Tried yeah. and true. So this woman in the shower gets murdered. Jamie's off doing her own thing, not really paying attention. And the murderer hides the body in the women's locker room. I believe it's the women's locker room. It doesn't really... It, it is. Uh, Jamie yeah. almost stumbles upon it because Jamie's like about to open the door or something. And then... And, and that's when she goes and hangs out with the jockstrap. And Rhonda catches her and is like, huh, I don't know what you're doing. And after the murder, Jamie goes back over to the women's change room and she hears a thud coming from a locker. So she opens a door and boom, out comes this hand. But it's just a rubber hand that's attached. Oh, yeah. <laughs> What's the point of that? I know. I, I know. It makes even less sense in two seconds. Anyways... She opens another locker and the body mm-hmm. of this murdered woman falls out and she screams. It immediately cuts to a police lieutenant. There's only like one cop. I think there's two cops in the movie of which he's a lieutenant and the other one is like some Joe Schmo. But he, he's called in to investigate this murder and he does and he falls for the exact same prank, I guess, that Jamie had fallen for literally 10 seconds before where he goes to open a locker door and this fake hand falls out. And he's just kind of like, oh, and like shoves it back in. I, I honestly don't um, remember that for it. But but uh, so then the, the dead body was in Diane Matthews' locker. Lieutenant Morgan goes to talk to Rhonda and Jamie, who are both in Rhonda's office about who mm-hmm. this Diane person is. You know, is she is she respectable? Jamie kind of says, well, you know, she seems nice. She's a little weird, though. She feels kind of distant, and that gives Lieutenant Morgan this kind of idea. He's like, oh, maybe I should follow up with her. She, she, she might be a murderer. Then, But for, for the moment, that whole storyline is kind of halted because then there's so many, like, mm-hmm. just harsh cuts that they're not harsh because they're not at the end of a scene, but they're harsh because they just cut to something completely... <laughs> like unrelated yeah the transitions are, are poor it cuts from that scene with lieutenant morgan and jamie and Rhonda in Rhonda's office to these guys working out and there's this kind of buff guy who turns out to be ted Pryor. who by the way if you look at his imdb page it says american actor and bodybuilder so <laughs> i mean he's buff <laughs> he is he is but he's he's the, of course the brother of the director he appeared in a number of his exactly, brother's yeah. films i don't know if he appeared in films not directed by his but i'm sure <laughs> one or two probably but i would he's hope not, so i mean because yeah, you know, he's not terrible but i mean you know maybe he's actually probably my favorite actor in this movie well yeah i mean i, th- next I think to... he's okay I mean, Ronda, he's not going up against much, yeah. No, it cuts to him working out uh, in this room with two other guys at the gym, and these two guys are talking about the body that was found in the locker and how it was stuffed in there, and he's kind of listening. But then shortly after that, it shows him in Rhonda's office going through her paperwork. She comes in and essentially says, you know, who the hell are you? And he turns around. This is my favorite part of the movie. He turns around and says, oh, you know, I'm just looking. And she goes, well, no, you're not just looking. Who are you? And he goes, oh, well... My name is Chuck Dawson. I'm a private investigator investigator hired by this senior party. And he hands her a piece of paper that's blank. He doesn't Did you notice that? say he's a private investigator. We learn that later. He's been hired. We know he's been hired, but he just says he's going to work there. I would think that that's kind of implied because as soon as I heard that, he's like, oh, I've been hired by this. I don't think so. I think he's just, I think he's part, just supposed partner. to be just some guy, you know, he's going to run an aerobics oh. Because Especially because, first of all, I would like to point out this senior partner stuff goes nowhere, right? Did I miss <laughs> Absolutely. something? Yeah. It, they refer to it a bunch of times. Like you're thinking, oh, maybe the senior partner is the killer or something. Like it, it, it is nothing. It, it has nothing to do with anything. But this unseen senior partner like again talking about the transitions in this movie we don't know 
I mean, the cops on the case, but we but we already had that edit that cut where we see Chuck weightlifting. We don't know how long this is after the cops discovered the body. So I don't think we have enough information to say this guy was hired because of the dead body. That turns out mm-hmm. to be exactly what happened, but we don't know yeah. that yet because the movie's just not very well constructed. To be honest, when I thought of who this character was, immediately when he was introduced, I definitely thought he was a private eye. But I guess you're right. Like, um, that's really interesting. So he, <laughs> the best part of that scene, though, is he hands over his credentials or his, like, his application, but it's just a blank piece of paper. And Rhonda goes, mm, okay, everything checks out. <laughs> I didn't notice that. <laughs> It's so stupid. And then for some reason, so then she says, well, you know, if you're going to work here, then, you know, uh, you better start doing things like take out the trash. And he goes, okay. So he goes outside and runs into this, runs into creepy Jimmy. Jimmy? In his black Mustang. And uh, Oh, can I just point out, Jimmy, does he look buff to you? He looks more fat than buff to me. Well, I mean, he looks like a guy a who would mix be in, like bar fights. You know what I mean? Yeah. He doesn't look buff, but he looks big. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Well, then there's the other guy who looks remarkably similar to Jimmy, but his name is Tom. Yes, he's, he's I actually, wearing, I was like, the red very, tank top. there's a scene later, there's like a dream sequence where I was really confused. I didn't know who was supposed to be who. Exactly. I'm, they do look similar. Exactly. Yeah, so anyway, so uh, Chuck and Jimmy get into a bit of a fight, and for some reason, like, immediately Jimmy goes, well, you know, if you're working here, then stay away from Rhonda. Mm-hmm. She's mine or something. And then they just start punching each other. I said earlier, like, Jimmy... He hits on Rhonda. I think he hits on any everyone because someone hits on Jamie. But now that I think of that, it might be the guy that kind of looks like Jimmy. Yeah, it was Tom that hit on Jamie at the beginning. Oh, I thought it was Jimmy. Okay, so... Well, see, Jimmy hasn't hit on anybody. There's a scene, though, with Diane, the one that looks to have been framed for murder. She goes up to him later, like after this scene where they fight. And she goes, what are you doing? You got any big plans tonight, Jimmy? And he goes, I don't know yet, you? And she goes, no, nothing. And he goes... Uh, too bad and then he just walks away <laughs> oh that's right <laughs> so yeah like... but he did he but jimmy did ask Rhonda. he did yeah that's the only person he asked so he asked, i was uh, i was thinking i'm going to correct myself here because earlier i was thinking that his character is inconsistent because he's clearly obsessed with Rhonda. but i thought he was oh, the one yeah. that hit on jamie but he's not so this character is one of the best written characters i've ever seen <laughs> now, now that now that i realize that i'm sorry you take that back you take yeah. that back but yeah so anyways him and him and chuck get into a fight there's no real winner. Debbie but Jimmy is drives looking away. on. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And then... Debbie's my favorite. Oh, she's great. Well, because, you know, she's such, you know... Well, I think she's the most attractive. There's a lot of attractive women in this movie. Debbie, for me... I think... Well, let, let's just cut to the chase, because eventually... for I mean, there's no real rhyme or reason to it. She... Chuck goes back to her place with her, and he's asking her questions about the gym and the people that hang out there, and Jimmy and stuff, and if she can have Jimmy, or if Chuck can have Jimmy's address. This is his supposedly this is his first day of work at the gym. He worked for about forty five seconds and immediately yeah. left. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It. Immediately left and hung <laughs> this out with this awful. attractive woman in her backyard on a couple of kind of like chintzy looking yellow lawn chairs, and then she there's she, a phone there. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, because then he calls the senior party. <laughs> involved he's like yeah hey i'm looking into it yeah i don't know anything yet but i gotta go bye and he hangs up and then debbie comes out and she goes here's jimmy's address he goes oh thanks i better go and she goes oh well you're not going yet are you and he goes well i better go and she goes well i've got something you want right here and she drops her robe and she's wearing a bikini which <laughs> i bet in the script originally she wasn't supposed to be wearing a bikini i will say this movie for being as sleazy as it is and you can argue you can argue that with the amount of just close-ups we get of women doing aerobics again that aren't really aerobic moves a lot of them just look like sexual 
actions. You can argue that that's sleazier than any amount of nudity you can yeah. see in a movie. But I will say that this movie, I don't want to give it props for it, but this movie does not have nearly as much nudity well, as you know, I and would again, my, this is It's everybody is sleazy. Here's my theory on uh, again. I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna All leave right. my theory till the end because to see what you think about it. But I think my theory might turn on its head because the movie I think is only about is only like an hour and twenty two yeah, minutes long like or something like that. I mean, it's still a relatively long runtime, I guess, for a movie of that caliber. <laughs> again, I'm gonna save. <laughs> I'm gonna save my theory on it till the end. I think right after Chuck, I guess, grabs or embraces this woman. I guess uh, it cuts back to aerobicizing. And it's again, it's like another five minute chunk. And then there again, you have Jimmy like ogling at the girls and somebody else is running the class this time. Not Ron. Probably Jamie. Probably Jamie. She, I think she's supposed to run those. And then I think the detective or the, the uh, uh, Lieutenant Morgan shows up to talk to Rhonda and Jamie again. But then it just cuts to night and they're and leaving. He, and the, Lieutenant uh, Morgan is following Diane Matthews, the person whose yes. locker the dead body was found and he's following her home. And my favorite part about this, though, is that, you know, it, it cuts to her upstairs in her apartment or it shows her uh-huh. walking up the stairs and she's relaxing in like a, in a robe. Then Lieutenant Morgan trying to get in. He just starts banging on the yeah. door, like screaming, let me in, let me in, <laughs> open the door. And she's standing at the top of the stairs for like 20 seconds. And uh, he, then yeah. he finally yells, it's the police. But by that point, somebody's I already think, broken into the apartment. I'm not even sure he, he announces that and he's I, the I police they, until she's been stabbed, to be honest. Like, it's such a, like, this isn't how you operate I know, as a I know. police it's officer. Like, it's on. like, what are you doing? Well, I mean, also the car he drives, that's not a police car. That's like... Oh, yeah, but, like, detectives, if I know something about detective television shows, you know, they, they don't necessarily drive police cars. They just drive, you know, I mean, Columbo drove this, you know piece of shit 40 year old car <laughs> um, around so who knows but i guess he's yeah they don't yeah, call him exactly they, they only refer to him as lieutenant right? which i'm i don't even i mean i don't know how the police system works but well uh, colombo colombo technically is lieutenant colombo so we're keeping consistent we're, we're we're paying tributes to the classics here this diane she gets i think she gets her throat slit and then as lieutenant morgan runs up the stairs the uh the killer launches themselves out the window and <laughs> lands like 20 feet below and runs away that's right hops over yeah. chain link fence i think he gets back to his car and he gets like a call from the precinct yeah and they're like oh i don't think it's diane uh the her the knitting needle of hers wasn't the murder weapon because they had ha- they'd found knitting that's right there was a knitting body. needle in in the locker but that isn't what was used to kill the person because we knew it was yeah. a safety pin obviously yes that's right so he's like yeah no shit and then again it cuts <laughs> i like and, how he's uh, just constantly angry we mentioned earlier Rhonda <laughs> and her kind of constant bitchiness he's, he's the male version male equivalent of that it's great later on in the movie there's a great line where she's holding a letter opener and she stabs an apple with it and he goes can i see that <laughs> she goes sure and he goes it's pretty sharp and she goes yeah not like you lieutenant <laughs> oh, oh yeah my god yeah. <laughs> but yeah so then the next day because i think it just don't say the oh, next day we don't really know with this movie but uh, yeah so then it cuts up to this person who sprays aerobicide on the gym the name of the movie yes and, and i want to say too. first of all this is uh, this is not a very well handled i mean it's it's dark it's supposed to be dark but we can't see the characters too well there's three tag two of them are female one of them's male mm-hmm. one of them is debbie right um i think she's the one in the car that gets in the car later i'm pretty sure that's debbie it's hard to tell because oh, it is so dark i think you're right i don't think the yeah, other well, and, t- and they all look so different i, I don't think the other two are people that we really know yet but i believe one of them's debbie and and then the graffiti reads what is it it's a rope and death spa and and, and death there spa, is of yeah. course 
the only other gym themed horror movie that I'm aware of is called Death Spot. It came out after this, so this movie's the original. Maybe maybe it's kind of like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but it, like the cinematic universe of <laughs> of like the killer workout movies. Yeah, could be. <laughs> maybe Toxic Avenger with a connection. I don't know. But part of that's in a gym, so. Uh, oh my god, I think you've cracked the code, Patrick. But yeah, so these people spray paint aerobicide and death spa on the uh, on Rhonda's workout gym uh, because she's refusing to close it. I guess even though people, even though I think like two people have been. There's killed, a scene where she where she insists and like I need to keep this open, and she was like ready to argue with her silent partner that like no, we need to yeah. keep this open. But the silent partner wanted it open too for some reason, even though yeah, we also again, know that the silent know... partner has. Well, I guess the silent partner has someone invested. I don't know. The silent partner stuff goes nowhere. I have no idea why that's in there. Yeah, I mean, maybe. So again, I think, <laughs> I think my theory is the Craig of this movie. Where it goes. Oh my God, Craig is making. Except a it's mentioned Ugh. more often, and it's 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 a bigger part of the movie, and it goes absolutely nowhere. Yeah. So. <laughs> silent partner Craig. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what he was, right? In Hush, he was a silent partner. But uh, yeah, so these three people kind of happily run away, giddily run away from the from the window of of uh, Rhonda's work. They all split up, which seems and, like a mistake. Yeah, well, because at first it shows the two girls going in the same direction, then and the guy going in a different direction. It cuts to him hopping a fence and then walking along uh, like like a picket fence, and then he turns and the camera holds on his face for a solid two or three seconds with his mouth agape, and then a hand comes in and shoves his head against the fence, and then you see the safety pin, the giant safety pin, come out and just start stabbing him in the mm-hmm. neck. And then it cuts to one of the two women hiding in an alleyway or like backing up into a dark alleyway for whatever reason. Like, you know, there's nobody around. There's no reason for them to hide, I guess. It shows her backing into a dark alleyway. Then these, then this gloved hand comes out with a knife and slits her mm-hmm. throat. And then the third woman who might be Debbie, I I'm guess, pretty right? sure this is Debbie. My, again, my favorite. Yeah. The scene, it's so dark. It's hard to tell. Well, she runs into her car with uh, Can- canvas sort of convertible for, like, tops, right? And the murderer hops on top and just starts stabbing their knife through the roof of this car. And she's, like, dodging the knife for a solid, like, 15 seconds in each direction. And then, uh, finally, the, the knife goes through the top of her head and she dies. This scene her head slumps This over. scene goes on for way too long. You know, if you're going to stab oh, someone through a convertible top, you got to do it quick. Because if you don't do it quick, then you're wondering why the person wasn't able to just duck down and get it. Because it's just a knife. It's not like a sword or a machete, something that's really yeah, long. Yeah, or, you know, start the car and drive away or, or something. Yeah, maybe, right, she you know? didn't have the, maybe she didn't have the keys. I can't remember. But yeah, this, this scene goes on for way too long. It's, it's awful. And it sucks. <laughs> yeah. But after that murder, it just then again cuts dramatically from this dark death, essentially, to more aerobicizing. <laughs> you know, like another five-minute montage. Mm-hmm. And we also see the bodies. Like, as that's going on, it cuts, and it shows the, the bodies, like the, the various bodies around the place, being essentially packaged up and taken away. Yeah, so there are two guys who had been laughing, uh, or joking anyways, uh, earlier in the movie about the, the woman that was murdered in the shower. And uh, one of them is working out uh, with some weights and... This bolt is loosened on the rope or whatever that he's using to lift these weights, and his handle comes and cracks him in the head and disorients him. When he opens yeah. his eyes, he sees this, again, this black-gloved hand come at him with a set of dumbbells and hits him right in the head. And his friend comes in and sees him dead on the floor with a hole in his in his, uh, in his forehead. And yeah. uh, as the as that guy looks up, he gets the giant safety pin right in the right in the head, and he dies. And then as that's going on, this guy who has nothing to do with any of the murders at all, uh, and who's not Jimmy, but who looks like him, Tom. Yeah, Tom, Tom comes in, and he, yeah, yeah, and he finds the bodies, 
And uh, the the private investigator fella, Chuck Dawson, he comes flying in and just starts, like, beating the hell out of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, him. at what better moment, you know, you don't have any of the information. So you might as well, when in doubt, you know, just punch things, I guess. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> I love that. Yeah. yeah. This yeah, guy's just wrong dead, place, wrong time. It's wonderful. Doesn't it just cut immediately to Tommy waking up or, or, or being kind of delirious? Yeah, this is weird because Tommy, I yeah. guess, was knocked out. And then I think we get a little scene of Lieutenant Morgan talking yeah, to Yeah, and, and he's Chuck also talking to Tom, though. He's like, hey, because I'm glad we finally got you or something like then that. Then he, like, well, yeah, but Tommy has this, like, I guess it's, it's a dream. He's having yeah. a dream where he's having sex with Jamie, and then she's killed. And again, this was the moment where I'm not sure if mm-hmm. it was supposed to be Tommy, like Tommy seeing himself, or if it was supposed to be Jimmy. Yeah, they do I'm kind confused. of look alike. Like Jimmy's Jimmy, bigger, but it looks a lot like Tommy. It's a dream, so it doesn't really matter. Yeah, because then when he does wake up, doesn't he get just get his throat slit or something like that? It, oh, this is this is one of the funniest moments of the scene of the movie. Where it's like, okay, so he's awake. He has a little conversation with Lieutenant Morgan. So Lieutenant Morgan gets up, walks away. Within seconds of him walking away, <laughs> this guy's killed. So it's basically under his nose. I don't know if that's like an editing thing where they just didn't know how to edit that scene, but or, I'm sure the way it's presented is quite know, funny. Yeah. <laughs> I don't put too much stock into what this movie's supposed to be showing or like what it is. That being said, though, I do, I do really like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then, like, I guess like a callback to earlier in the movie when Chuck was asking for Jimmy's address from Debbie. Uh, he finally goes to Jimmy's house yeah. to investigate, and he sees a bunch of pictures he's taken of Rhonda, and a bunch of like guns laying all over the place. I was confused by this scene because I mean, I I did know obviously. Debbie, rest in peace, gave him the the address. But I thought he was entering his own home and he just thought someone had broken in. Because the first thing he does is he grabs a gun from like a holster that's like sitting up. And I'm like, okay, this is his home, right? But it's not. Again, I think this is kind of an editing issue where... where Or or just a storytelling issue. I don't know. Happening, really. (laughs) Just just an issue with the movie in general. And then there's a scene like like, immediately after that, immediately after he sees these images of Rhonda and the guns that Jimmy has laying around and, and some ammo that had been taking out uh, that had been taken out of, of the boxes then immediately it shows somebody swimming in a pool and you don't know who that person is and there's somebody with like a, a swim cap swimming around in a pool doing laps yeah because the swim cap kind of hides who it is i don't know who you see first i think you see maybe jimmy in the bushes first and then you see chuck i i think you're right but yeah, yeah. i they're both there they're both there watching her and we we find out that it's uh ronda that they're watching exactly yeah initially know that Especially because we've never seen Rhonda's home no, before. No, exactly. And I mean, or at least that we know of. Maybe we saw it in the opening scene because we saw somebody's exactly, home. Exactly. Yeah. That we still don't know what that opening scene was. So Jimmy and Chuck, in their shared history of of a love of fighting, they just start punching each other. Round two, right here. This one involves weapons. This is actually a pretty fun fight scene. It's a really fun fight scene. No, I, I completely There's agree. like, like a it, break it involved. It, it's, it goes um, on for too long, but it's actually yeah, pretty well Chuck, done. The actor or stuntman that plays Jimmy. Like, again, going back to, I don't think he looks Oh, he fit. was great. I don't think he looks athletic. He looks kind of fat to me. But whoever, if it's the actor or the stuntman, he can do some, you know, jump kicks, make those look pretty good. Like, those are, those are nice. But the thing that I thought was silly about the scene was that after that happens, Chuck stands up and is like standing in front of the pool and he's swaying like in like in like a Street Fighter video game. <laughs> yeah. And then Jimmy just kicks him into the pool. And then he wakes up 
And then Chuck wakes up in Rhonda's house, presumably Rhonda's house, yeah. with Lieutenant Detective Morgan. And he's like, now, come on, your real name isn't Chuck, I know, it's Charlie. You know? <laughs> come on, Charlie, where are you from? He goes, well, I, you know, I came down here from San Francisco. And I guess you're right, this is probably when private investigator stuff comes out. Even from the scene he had with Debbie when he asks about Jimmy and his address and stuff. We can kind of assume at that point that he's a private investigator, but here's where we get confirmation because Lieutenant Morgan had heard of him. He, like, knew he was involved in some case at some point in the past, so he, like, kind of knew who this guy was, I guess. The whole kind of, I guess, exposition scene that you get from that is Chuck tells Rhonda and Lieutenant Morgan about all the pictures he found at Jimmy's house of Rhonda. Yeah, so so Jimmy is suspect numero uno at this point, whereas yeah. before it had been, there wasn't him. really a one before. It was kind no, of well, Jimmy it was still. Him and and Chuck, because the lieutenant didn't know who well, Chuck yeah, to, was. Yeah, but lieutenant's also an idiot. Like, I don't, yeah, like, I, in, in, I'm speaking from the viewer's perspective. Before this, Jimmy was kind of already the prime suspect, and he certainly mm-hmm. is now. I mean, we know it's not Jamie because she's going around the locker room when the body's being moved, you know, yeah. back, going back to like early on in the movie. We have no real reason to suspect Rhonda. And again, it's it basically the only suspects really are Jimmy and Silent Partner, whoever the hell that is. Which... Exactly. <laughs> Again, there's all these really <laughs> like harsh cuts between scenes that just don't really make sense. But again, it cuts straight to the gym. I mean, I'm just going to kind of breeze over this part, but more people get killed. I mean, Jamie gets killed, and this woman who was leaving the gym because she's afraid of all the deaths that have been going on, she finds Jamie's body swinging yeah. from Yeah, she from wanted to say goodbye to Jamie because she liked yeah. Jamie or whatever, and then she finds her, and it's like, oh no. James yeah, I don't hanging, think we hanged. Yeah, and her face is all blue, and it's it's a little disturbing. But uh, I don't think we see that woman get killed. But then we see the the police officer stroke security guard guy <laughs> walk up, and he finds both bodies, and he says, "Jesus Christ!" Yeah. And then while that is all going on, Chuck had been told by the lieutenant to leave. He was like, "You know, get out of here. You don't you you know you don't have to be a part of this anymore. Just get out." So he lets him into the gym because he had some stuff there. So he's coming out of the back of the gym mm-hmm. and Jimmy shows up in his black Mustang with his black tank top and he runs Chuck over and fights him and he pulls an ice pick out and, and kills him. It was pretty it was anti-climactic. Because this is like when he sees that coming, like Chuck, who kind of we're led to believe knows what's going on, he pulls out his gun. He fires at least once at the car when it's coming, and then if you look, there's no bullet holes in the windshield, yeah. so I guess he just missed or whatever. But for round three of this fight, it's kind of weird. And and it's also, it like I think this was supposed to be kind of the moment, you know, in, in terms of the script, where it's like, okay, now we know it's Jimmy. Except we know it's not Jimmy, because it's an ice pick. We haven't seen an ice pick yet in this movie. All the other kills have been, you know, the safety pin. So it's like, so I guess maybe this is in there to let us know that okay, this guy kills people, but he's not the killer. I don't know. There's obviously, yeah. a, there's a twist somewhere here. I'm not sure exactly where the twist is because... Yeah, I mean, it's definitely supposed to be written as a twist. Its execution yeah. is just off. But I mean, I think I'm going to briefly touch on the last chunk of the movie, which is about, I don't know, probably like... It, feel, it feels like an hour long, but it's really maybe 15 minutes long, 20 minutes long. Tenant Morgan goes over to Rhonda's house to confront her because he says to her, he's like, you know, I know it's you who's been murdering people. And she goes, you have no proof. By the way, when he walks up to her house and knocks on the door, it cuts to a woman, right, a bald yeah. woman with burn scars, putting on a wig, and then she turns and This is Rhonda's where we face. learn that there's been a lot and, of off-screen uh, detective work, which is never a good sign in your mystery movie. No. <laughs> no. 
But yeah, so he, he comes up to her and says, you know, I know your name isn't actually Rhonda. I know it's Valerie, Valerie Johnson, and you were a beautiful model, and you had, there was an accident with a tanning bed, and you've been disfigured. And she says, what? Yeah, good proof. You want to see these? And she, like, rips her top open, and it's just boobs with, like, 10 it's, pounds it's of Freddy Krueger. It looks like clay and <laughs> painted skin color on her. Yeah, that's exactly what it is, yeah. She essentially says, you know, you have no proof that I've killed anybody. But he puts her in handcuffs anyways and takes her to his car uh, where there's... He identifies her motive, which at this point we don't know what the motive is. But yeah, he says, yeah, which, it's which like, oh, your body's been badly disfigured. And, and seeing all these beautiful bodies must have made you so angry. And and, and it kind of sounds like ridiculous. It's like, well, why would she open a gym if that was the case? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Well, exactly. But yeah. it is ultimately, well, you know, that is the motivation revenge. we learn at the end. Because this is the one yeah. thing the lieutenant has been able to figure out and he's correct on. But, but then even like the stranger thing is after he puts her in in the car, he gets a call over the radio that says Chuck's been killed. And Jimmy's on the run. And Rhonda puts her wrists forward because they've already been handcuffed. Presumably, he takes the handcuffs uh, the handcuffs off her and chases down Jimmy, which there's like a 10-minute chase through like a construction site that looks kind of more like a Home Depot <laughs> like, like back lot where you get... He chases Jimmy through there, and then... I don't remember how Jimmy gets away. Oh, I, I, I remember knows. this because this is, again, we're talking about anticlimactic moments. This is when Lieutenant Morgan, like, corners him and he's got him and, he, and he's basically like, why'd you kill Chuck? Why, why are you doing all this? Why are you helping, you know, Ron? Because he knows Jimmy's not the real, he killed Chuck, but he's not the yeah. killer. And he's like, uh, you're setting yourself up to take the fall for, I keep wanting to yeah. say Martha, but it's uh, Rhonda. You're setting yourself up to take the fall for Rhonda. And then he just kind of, like, takes his eyes off and jimmy just like kicks the gun away or something and, oh, runs. That and that's just yeah. how it ends that's it's just... oh so stupid well because <laughs> then it cuts because then it cuts to jimmy in the in Rhonda's workout and Rhonda's getting out of the shower without her wig on yeah and then she realizes somebody's in there she throws her wig on and she turns around she reaches into her locker and there's a huge revolver like a dirty hairy like 357 magnum or something and she just like plugs jimmy two or three times and she says something like why are you Why'd you kill Chuck? And he says, I killed Dawson to protect you. And then she just pops him in the head. Then the next scene after that is Lieutenant Morgan has Rhonda in the car. And there's like a terrible like dub over or something. And they pull up in the countryside and they walk out between some trees and there's a shovel. Rhonda's wearing like this lovely dress or something. The detective's telling her this story about how this farm or this this land used to be his family's land. Essentially what he's saying is, I'm going to kill you, but I want you to dig the grave first because I know you're the true murderer. I know you're the real murderer. Yeah, he goes vigilante here for no real reason. Yeah, no no reason Well, I guess the the reason is he can't actually prove that, but he's barely looked into that. No, exactly. He probably can prove it. Then it's even more ridiculous because he's launching into this speech about something that essentially has nothing to do with anything it's just more backstory that we got at the very be- like at the very end of the movie this whole scene is awful and again this there's basically three climaxes if you will in this movie and they're all horrifically anticlimactic there's round three between um mm-hmm. jimmy and chuck which is probably the oh, best absolutely of these three, yeah but it's nothing special there's the lieutenant dawson versus jimmy showdown which is just embarrassingly written they couldn't come up with a better way to get jimmy out of that i don't know i mean they're right by a thing like wood couldn't he just like pull out a piece of wood and and hit him in the face or something yeah i like I've no i don't know clue. but at any rate and then this one i think is the worst of all three because it's just like he's got he just it's the classic it's like the bad guy monologue except he's not really the bad guy 
in this movie, he's um, just wasting. I mean, he's just talking and talking, and all this time, she's got all this time to think about how to get exactly. away. Exactly, and, and that's exactly yeah, what and She picks up the shovel and just smacks him in the face when his when his head is turned, and then yeah, it's like the simplest thing. And like, why do we have like three minutes of monologue for this? Like, it's, it's almost like comedically edited. Well, exactly, almost, yeah. But, I mean. But yeah, and then it, then the movie ends by uh, it cuts to Rhonda walking through the gym, and people are like, "Hi, Rhonda, hi," and she's like, "Hey, guys," and she sits down. Oh, we meet her silent partner, don't oh, we? Do we? I don't. I don't think so. I think the woman in her office is her silent partner. I think they say that say something. Oh well, that. no, because there is another woman. There's in a woman in her, her office, office, but she's she's talking about creating like a new. She, she's talking about getting new membership. She's like, "Oh yeah, well we can do half price for this, and it'll be great, don't you think, Rhonda?" That's why I thought it was the partner because she had like these business plans. Oh yeah, I, I have no. Listen, I don't think the movie thought that out really. I, I just think it's some random person that now works there to take the place of Jamie or something. And then the movie ends with a shot on Rhonda. She reaches into her desk and pulls out a keychain, and attached to that keychain is this giant comically large safety pin and she just kind of has a sinister grin and she looks into the camera then the movie ends. well the movie ends on the true money shot which is the aerobics oh, you're montage right. yes. because that's what this movie was yes. all about I mean, yeah. so of course we have to revisit it i would like to say that this one's clearly there if there was any doubt that all the other aerobic scenes were just kind of randomly filmed and inserted wherever in the movie this one's the most <laughs> obvious because we see at least one character i think two who are dead by the end of the movie that are in yes. this day because we have jamie leading aerobics and i and Debbie's there too, and I'm like I said, I'm ninety percent sure yeah. Debbie's dead. So, but that's the movie. So uh, I guess uh, what did you think of it, Patrick? Well, it's I mean, like we said, like we've said a number of times, it's a bad movie, but it's kind of fun. <laughs> I think this is like a movie that I like because like the whole '80s nostalgia thing is like really big now, like with like Stranger Things and all these other things. And I th- this is obviously a movie from the '80s that I can't really imagine anyone's that nostalgic for. But this kind of no, the entire movie, <laughs> the look and the sound. I mean, the soundtrack, the pop songs that at least one was original. Basically reminds me of someone were making a movie today, but tried to make it look like it was made back in 1987. Because you look at like Mm -hmm. other like 80s nostalgia things that we have around are like, I mean, they have like the 80s look and the hair and the costumes and stuff. They don't like have that modern production values and everything, but the movie looks awful. At least on, on, this is on Prime is like in, towards the end of the movie when uh, Lieutenant Morgan's monologuing, just the picture just dies for a couple, I don't know, did you have that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I did too. So yeah. that's that's like the officially released yeah, version of this movie. I mean, that's just a transfer issue. That's not the fault of the filmmakers, but it just kind of adds to this whole kind of amateurish quality of the whole thing that I do find appealing. I like I, the movie actually isn't simple because the movie is trying to do a lot of things, but I also like that like slasher in a gym. It's kind it kind of delivers on that. I mean, it's a very simple. I think it's a really great idea. It's just all about execution at the end of the day. A lot of things don't line up. A lot of things don't make sense. Again, that passage of time, we don't even know how many days have gone past or months or years or whatever. And also, the, the I think that I think there's two big ways where the movie really lets you down. It's the passage of time, us not knowing from the first scene to the second scene, the relationship between the two. And the other big one, and it's related to that opening scene, is the off-screen detective work that was done. Yeah. Yeah. How does he figure out about Valerie Johnson? We don't know. <laughs> we didn't exactly, see it. Yeah. Uh, especially because he's been incompetent in everything else he's been doing the entire movie. I also yeah, think exactly. a, a big thing that this movie suffers from, again, if we were to talk about this as a real movie, which, you know, it's barely, <laughs> but there aren't that many characters, but the movie still seems to lose track of them. 
there's like a good solid middle section of the movie where we don't see Chuck. Like he's just gone. Yeah, or like sometimes the characters look completely different or too similar. I yeah. mean like the whole uh, Jimmy and Tommy. Or we see Chuck in essentially three different outfits and three different locations, but he looks completely different. In but he's the only like, blonde guy, so we know him. In one scene he's wearing like a, like a trucker baseball cap. And when he's breaking into uh, Jimmy's house and you're like, who the hell is this guy? Then you realize, oh, wait a minute, it's Chuck. We think he's breaking into his own home because we really don't know because, because the movie... <laughs> after they establish that he gets Jimmy's address, the movie just forgets about that for the next half hour. And you think you're like, okay, I guess it wasn't important. Oh, it is important, I guess. Here, that's what we got. We got on-screen detective work from Chuck that for a long time didn't mean anything because we didn't see that followed up upon. But then we can't get on-screen detective work for Lieutenant Morgan, who's useless the entire movie. He's almost bumbling. It's kind of a joke, really. And he looks, again, going back to what we said about Rhonda's, he looks constantly annoyed. I actually did kind of like the performance. He's just like... Oh, yeah, I love that. No, I mean, I I think this movie, in addition to what you said about the editing and, and some kind of shortcomings, there i think where this movie suffers is like we don't really have a main character no early on you kind of think okay jamie's probably our main character but then the movie just ignores jamie for a long time and then they kill her it's almost like Rhonda's the main character yeah but i want to say even her she's she's like i mean she's eventually really be the killer but in that middle section of the movie she's just like she doesn't do anything yeah and when we are introduced to chuck we're thinking okay maybe he's the main character but again he then he disappears for like 20 minutes after he gets the address Mm -hmm. i don't know and i i don't know if i were to rewrite this movie who would be the main character i don't think it's i mean you could make it so it's lieutenant morgan you could make it so maybe it's jamie you could uh, do it where it's Rhonda. but i really don't think there is one here well you know what this whole movie felt like to me and this is where my theory comes in Again, I'm not saying this is anything close to right. It almost feels like David A. Pryor, known for making very schlocky movies and some movies with a lot of nudity in him, it almost feels like he was trying his hand at making a porno. No, I don't. And he got. Hold on a second. I know know where you're going with this, but I disagree. Well, because he got like halfway through. (laughs) filming and he's like oh wait a minute actually this would look maybe this would look really cool as a horror thriller instead because like there are so many jump cuts and all the characters are just so like one dimensional it's exactly what you'd get out of like a porno or something I understand yeah. where you're going with that, and, I, and again, going back to, I think the aerobics are as gratuitous or as shocking as any amount of nudity could be, but at the same time, there's so little nudity in this movie, comparatively. Yeah, but the question is, like, would there have been more nudity in it that had just been cut out? Like, would there have been more nudity in it that would have served as the transition between scenes that were just cut out? I'm not sure. You did mention that one scene with Debbie. But other than that, I, I really don't know where else they could have fit more in, so to speak, other than maybe have a longer and more gratuitous <laughs> oh, you dog, you. shower scene with the woman in the beginning. Yeah. Anyways, it's just a theory. It's just something to chew over. So we've discussed Hush and Killer mm-hmm. Workout. How do you think these two movies together work as a double feature? What do you think? I think they work together in the sense that you could play Hush first. You know, if if, if the screen's going to be turned on around eleven or something, you know, if you're actually if you're actually thinking about being in an actual drive-in, uh, you could play Hush first. Like Hush it has uh, to be then, played first, absolutely. Yes, yes, I'll explain I, that. I, it definitely minute, has but... to be played first. But yeah, then Killer Workout definitely second because it's just pretty goofy and silly and just there's gratuitous nudity, I think, and and that's really. That's really what has to be played second. However, together as as a double feature, I don't know if they really work unless you want to go out and have like a semi-serious night and then a night full of fun, I guess. I'm going to say that I think these movies function great as a double feature. Maybe not great, but well. And going back to kind of something you said is I think these movies, when I'm 
thinking drive and double feature. I'm thinking the first movie is the more normal or mainstream one, which is obviously the case mm-hmm. here because this is a Netflix movie. It's released by Blumhouse. Uh, and the second movie, you get to be a little weirder. You get to be a little crazy, you know, and, and that's for really two reasons. But one is that it's late at night, so you're getting tired. So you want some like weird stuff to be on the screen that will keep you away. I mean, you could also like, get a really engaging story exactly, that yeah. could also do the trick, but that's not what we have here. But And I think the other one is the kids are asleep. Kids are in the back of the car. They're asleep. You, the second yeah. movie's just for yeah. you, and it's like, okay, you've got, as you mentioned, gratuitous nudity. We've got gratuitous non-nudity that's even more gratuitous than the nudity, believe it or not. It's like, I think, <laughs> I think this yeah. movie fits yeah. in well there. That's kind of what I'm looking at in this kind of the split of the first movie, the second movie. I believe there's like certain roles that each movie can fill. And I think together they kind of work because I think if, because they're not similar movies. They're both horror movies, but they're not similar. There's one's obviously a lot more serious in its execution than the other. But what I think Killer Workout really does is it gives you some of the things that you're looking for out of a drive-in movie that you don't get in Hush. Hush, even though Kate Siegel, I think, is a very beautiful woman, there's no real sex appeal in that movie. And to be fair, it would be out of place if there was. It's not like I want sex appeal in that Mm -hmm. movie with that story being told. But that's all of what Killer Workout's about. Hush is actually more violent, more gorier, even though those bits of gore are kind of brief. You would actually kind of expect this to be probably be gorier than it is. But I think it's really... And again, going back to what you said, it's like you start with like a serious night and then it, or a semi-serious night and it kind of becomes this like goofy thing. I think that's great, especially because the first movie, Hush, takes something out of you. That's such an emotional roller coaster. That journey you take with that main character. I think you want some levity out of your second movie and I'll take comedy even if it's unintentional comedy, which is kind of what this is. Yeah, no, I, you know, I've, after hearing what you've said, I've, I've changed my tune. I, I, th- I think I'm going right. to agree with you, well, to be honest. So, you've convinced me. Anyways, that's Hush and Killer Workout now playing at your local drive-in theater. But uh, Yeah, you know, see them uh, if yeah, you go want. Go check yeah. them out. Between the two, which movie did you enjoy more? Not which is the better movie, but which movie did you just enjoy more? Okay, well, out of out of I'm both Hush and Killer Workout, the movie I enjoyed more. I'm worried. <laughs> the movie I enjoyed more was Killer Workout are you, by far. Are you serious? I, I, yeah, I'm serious. Oh I'm no! Because <laughs> I, I, I knew dude, it. I've I watched know. it. Well, here's the thing though. Hush, Hush is, was a fantastic movie, but it, it doesn't have that rewatchability for me. Killer Workout does in the sense that it's schlocky <laughs> You've and silly. Watched it three times in like twenty four hours. Dude, I have I watched guess. it three, yeah. exactly. I've watched it three times in about actually like forty eight hours. So I've you know I love it. I'm in love with it. <laughs> oh, how embarrassing! <laughs> but hey, you no, know, don't I, tell anybody. No, please. I, I mean I think Killer I think Killer Workout <laughs> is good for what it is, but obviously Hush is the better movie. It's the it's certainly the better made movie, and I know you're not arguing that it's not. But to me, I just find it so much more entertaining, so much more engaging because. Yeah, There's not much that. plot, but just the way the story is told is really effectively. And the again, the performance mm-hmm. by Kate Siegel is just incredible. She knocks it out of the park. Great stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so you're for Hush, I'm for Killer Workout. But either way, I think uh, they'd make a great double feature. Right. And um, people should go out and see them. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us. Please tune in next time as The Revenge of the Drive-In will return with Frankenstein from 1931 starring Boris Karloff and... Audition from 1999, the film by Takashi Miike. And that one is available on Shudder. 
Be sure to follow us on Twitter for any updates at DriveInPodcast, no underscores, hyphens, or spaces, and we welcome you to watch along with us. Until next time, this has been Patrick and Jim signing off.